Now, you can tell a lot about a person by their YouTube search history and what it comes up recommended on their page. Three things come up recommended on my page. One, my kids, they know how to spell now, and they like all the cartoons and crazy shows that they watch, so there's a lot of cartoons that comes up recommended. Uh, number two, barber tutorials. Listen, I'm, I'm knee-deep in the barber tutorial world. In the pandemic, I was learning how to give my kids fades, and you couldn't have, I, you know what I mean? There was nothing else to do in the middle of the pandemic but ruin your kid's hair, so. Um, <laughs> I did that, so I still watch the videos. And something I, I, I do watch to this day are like these tours of these mega mansions. These like 100 million, $150 million homes. And I don't know why I like love watching these shows on YouTube, it's, I'll never have any of these things. Uh, I'll never probably even know anybody who's that rich. But I just love seeing how extravagant some people live. I don't know why. And one of the things that's fascinating is like you'll just go in the house on the tour and you'll see people just with the illest flexes. Like people will import marble the size of this stage just for like their kitchen island. And you're like, yo, that's a big island. What are you doing? But it, it's really funny. If you were to rewind 800 years, you know what like one of the biggest flexes would be? Like, if you wanted to show someone that you were, like, filthy rich, you would have a Bible. The reason that a Bible was so expensive that back then, and if you kind of price it out, it was probably around the same price of buying a Ferrari. It was about three years of the average person's salary because you would have one person who was a scribe, and they would spend years by hand, painstakingly doing about four to five pages a day to present and produce a Bible. Only the wealthiest of wealthy people could have one. Now, nowadays, I mean, you have Bibles on your phones, and we can, uh, thanks you to the modern printing press, we have Bibles that we can all have and distribute pretty freely. It's not a sign of wealth to have a piece of paper. The modern printing press has enabled us to print hundreds of pages per minute. It's not something that is complicated. Now, since that time 800 years ago, our society has drastically changed in the way that we produce things. Uh, the, industri the Industrial Revolution introduced factories, and what used to take people weeks or months or years now just takes a few minutes. Now, that is a really good thing, but that does present a problem to us today. The problem it presents to us today is one that is spiritual and emotional. I think that we think that since we have the ability to mass produce books and car doors, we assume incorrectly that change in our life should take place at the same pace. That because we can mass produce Subarus, we can mass produce spiritual fruit in our lives. Now, one of the biggest challenges to our Christianity and to our faith is the speed in which everything else around us happens. And it's a mistake because we believe that our spiritual lives should be able to change that quickly. Now, when Jesus talked about our spiritual lives and growth, he never talked about it in mechanical terms, but rather in agricultural terms. In other words, your walk with God is a whole lot less like printing something, but much more like farming. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about three different parables of what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, Jesus says in Matthew 13, 31, he says, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, 
It's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Here's what Jesus was getting at, and here's what we've been talking about in this entire Real Love series. God growing on the inside of you starts with a seed, something small, something barely visible, something seemingly insignificant. But when it grows, it has the capacity to become the largest thing in the field. Over the past eight weeks, we've talked about a number of topics, and some of the topics that we have talked about, I fear that many people would think that, oh, because I've learned something, that automatically means life change. In America, we think either you know something or you don't know something. But the, the gap in between knowledge and real growth is oftentimes the same gap of what it looks like to plant a seed and to watch that seed grow and become a tall tree. Growing a plant happens in seasons, and all of the things we've talked about in your life, I don't want any of us to make the mistake that since we've heard a sermon or read a text or had a conversation about something, it's automatically going to spring up and grow in your life. I say this because I don't want anybody being discouraged that you don't see the growth in your life as quickly as you would like to see it. You never plant and reap in the same season. Things take time to develop. It takes time to appear. There is a lot of invisible, under-the-surface transformation happening before you can see any visible fruit. Now, one of my friends in my community group years ago told a story about growing an apple tree in his front yard in his house. He grew up on, on, on a farm. And he says that it took years and years for that tree to eat, be able to even develop fruit. So it goes from a seed to a small tree to a full-grown tree, and then more years for that tree to give you fruit. And then once it gives you fruit, it takes more years for that fruit to actually be edible. When Jesus talks about our growth, when we talk about the things that we want to see happen in our life, I don't want us thinking that we're just going to hear a sermon and automatically grow to be people who love really well overnight. By God's grace, we are experiencing a lot of transformation, and that happens beneath the surface. And I want us to pour all of our effort on it. I want us to work really, really hard. But I also want us to be patient and allow God to actually transform us. You know what? It's funny. Um, last week, Aswan preached on um, forgiveness. Uh, and when he preached on forgiveness, it, he preached from a scripture that I have, I've preached from before. I've read that parable a lot of times. And one thing that Aswan said is forgiveness is ceasing to be angry about something. And even though I've preached on that before, I've read that parable, I agree with it, I know it, man, I still struggle to incorporate that in my life. True story, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about something that my wife did like three and a half years ago, and I was like so mad about it. <laughs> we were in a community group, and one of the things in life that I take great pride in is being a very present father. I am not an absentee dad. I do everything with my boys. And one night at community group, someone said, oh, man, like, Jessica, how are you guys feeling? You all tired? She says, I am. <laughs> Jordan has been sleeping. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I pulled out the receipts like, no, I have not. I did Tuesday night. I did Sunday night. I did Thursday night. I did Friday night. And I was like, as a matter of fact, I've done more nights than you. That whole night at community group, I was texting her like, yo, you have to correct this. You can't let them think. <laughs> You can't let them think that I'm just sleeping every night and you're waking up in the middle of the night with the kids all the time. Like, that's, that's crazy because my, my youngest son was pretty, like, maybe three or four months at the time. 
And like, I was literally texting her like, yo, just bring it back up, because we're not going to be able to leave <laughs> unless we clear this up. And like awkwardly during prayer request time, she was like, well, I have a request that, you know, we think about Jordan, he didn't sleep. And I was like, what? <laughs> she cleared the record. True story, I'm not exaggerating. A month ago, I was just randomly walking around the house and I was like, yo, I can't believe Jessica said that about me. <laughs> and I was angry all over, the, I was like angry all over again. I was like, Jordan, woosah, all right, let me, let me get, all right, let me rehearse my forgiveness in Christ and let me, forget, let me rehearse uh, her goodness and all these different things. I was trying to put that into practice. Now, it's, that's three years ago, and I'm still bringing up something petty in my brain. It's going to take a while for forgiveness in my life to be something that you can say is a, is a giant mustard tree in my life, that my life is marked by forgiveness. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot in this series is the deep inner work that is required from you to be a person who loves people well. Now, you're not going to turn that switch on overnight. You're not going to go from avoiding your entire emotional world to being an emotionally healthy adult in a sermon series. It's going to take time, and by God's grace, please allow that. Allow God to do what he's going to do in your life. Don't think something is wrong because it's not happening overnight. But there's something I want to talk about today. I want to add to the list of the things we've been talking about because our goal in this series has been that we would be people who would learn what real love is all about, and that we would be able to love people well, and that we would be able to thrive in all of our relationships, that you would be a person that people would look at and want to be in relationships with. I'm talking about with your kids, with your significant other, with your coworkers, with, your member, with other people here at Renaissance, with your parents, all those things, that we would be healthy and thriving in our relationships. And today I want to talk about something that is not necessarily super deep theologically. It's something that we will see in the book of James is highly practical, and it shapes everything about your relationships. It's your words. It's what you say. Back in the day, if you were out on a playground uh, playing basketball, talking crazy, you knew something was about to go down, and somebody said, yo, watch your mouth, man. Like, yo, for real, watch your mouth. I think so many times in our relationships, we ignore the power of our words. We ignore the real benefit that our words can have in a relationship. We ignore the real power that our words have to shape, reshape our relationships. And today I want to look at some scriptures that will really help us to love people well by teaching us to watch what we say. Now, whether or not you are a religious person, all of us know the feeling of saying something, and the second it leaves your mouth, you immediately regret it. Why do you regret it? Because you know your words, which you have just spoken, are going to do damage. Even if you did not intend for it to do damage, you know that the damage is already done just merely because those words have left your mouth, or in some cases, they've left your keyboard, and the message already says red on their iPhone. If you and I are serious about what it means to be a person who loves people well, we have to look at our words because our words are so powerful. One of the things I've been thinking about is the way you see yourself now, even if you were to look in the mirror, is a result not just of what you see in front of you, but the words that have been spoken over your life. How you see your skin tone, your complexion, your height, the breadth of your nose and your lips, your appearance is based on what other people have said about you. You yourself, you can't even see yourself 
objectively, because you have been so powerfully shaped by the words that people have spoken about you, both good and bad. Uh, last night, my wife and I got an amazing privilege to go see MJ the Musical, and um, we had a phenomenal time. Uh, and one of the scenes that I was watching like, actually had me choking up. Uh, Michael Jackson was a very complicated person, and it was a scene where his father was just talking so terribly to him about his nose and his skin tone and his acne. And when you see what Michael Jackson did to himself in his, in his life, man, it's so hard to just see the words that were spoken over him, and you just see how easily they created these, 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 these complete problem areas in his life that he couldn't ever escape it. That this dude could sell millions and millions of records but could not escape the words that were spoken over him. So much so that he would really harm himself in so many different ways. Our words are so powerful. And if we're going to be people who love well, we have to know the power of our words, both good and, and bad. Now, James has a lot to say about our words. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says it like this, though. Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can go home just off of that right there. <laughs> Death, the corrosion of a relationship, that exists in the power of your words. Life, the growing of something beautiful and fragile at times, that exists in the power of our words. So relationships are created, shaped, damaged, nurtured, awakened by our words. So we would do very well to watch what we say. James 3 uh, is a book of the Bible that talks so much about our words, and here's how he starts it in verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says or she says, he or she is mature, able to control the whole body. James is basically saying that if you really want to be mature, the first thing you need to think about is not necessarily learning uh, deep theological paradigms but rather that you would be a person who understands and can monitor the words that are coming out of your mouth. you got to learn to tame your tongue. You have to get your words under control. Now, I want to highlight for us three reasons why we need to really pay attention to our words and why we need to watch our mouth. Uh, the first is one of the scariest. It's my words direct where I go. Your words will direct where you go. What is directing your relationship are the words that are being spoken to you and the words that you are speaking to someone else. Here's what James says in verse 3. He says, Now if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole body. Let me pause there for a second. Uh, my, my cousins and I were very fortunate that uh, at the house that my grandmother was born in, in 1927, we would go down every single year, and we still go down every single year to that house in Buffalo Junction, Virginia. And we go down, and years and years ago, my granddad, being the great man that he was, bought us some horses. And we were able, growing up, to be able to ride horses. And even though we were only about 50, 60, or 70 pounds, we would be able to hop onto a horse and turn it and to ride it around. Now, the reason that they can have a, a jockey who weighs like 100 pounds and can ride Seabiscuit is not because that jockey is strong or because we as children were strong, but you can direct a horse just with this little bit that you put in its mouth. You can control it. You can take an animal that weighs thousands of pounds and you can control it and make it go in any direction you want to go in just with a bit. And James is saying this. 
Something so small is something so powerful that can direct um, the entire direction of our lives. And then James continues, he says, And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, and it boasts great things. James says, consider a ship. If you think about one of these cruise ships, the Queen Mary has three acres of recreational space. I don't think anybody's taking any cruise anytime soon. But the anchor alone weighs the weight of 10 cars, yet a very small rudder directs the huge ocean liner in the middle of the waves through the winds and the seas. The rudder is what keeps it on course, and the rudder is what can take it off course. And here's what James is getting at. Your words direct where the relationships are going. Our tongues, our mouths are the steering wheels of our life. If you don't like the direction that your life and your relationships are going, we have to first watch the words that we are, being, uh, that we are speaking and the words that we are receiving. A second thing that James tells us about uh, reasons to watch our mouth is uh, our words can destroy what we have. So number one, our words direct where we go, but number two, a very sobering reality, your words can destroy what you have. And James gives another illustration. He says, consider, think about it, how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And then James leaves no room for misinterpretation. He says, and the tongue is a fire. Imagine a beautiful forest, and certainly we've seen this so much in recent years with all of the wildfires um, that we've seen small fires turn into millions of acres being burned down. And James is saying that all started with a small spark. When I was about 13 years old, um, I wasn't a pyromaniac. I think that term is a little bit loaded. But like many boys, I'll personalize it. Like, I liked to start fires, so do with that what you will. Um, and one day I was coming home from school, and again, teenage boy, uh, young teenage boys are the stupidest people on the planet. And I was walking home, I saw this big pile of leaves. So one of my friends had some matches, they dared me to do it, and I would always do anything to impress other people. So I took a match and I threw it into the pile. And at first, I didn't see anything, and we all kind of went away, uh, went on our way. And then like, I heard like fire engines behind me. And then I saw like fire trucks racing down, and this little spark started this huge fire that was actually getting like close to the people's homes that it started in front of. And um, they were obviously terrified and called 911. And here's the thing that was so crazy about that. Like, I didn't intend for that to happen. Like, I didn't think to myself, you know what I want to do? I want to create a hysteria and almost burn someone's house down. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just throw a match in there and see what would happen, but never in my wildest dreams that I think that was going to be the thing that happened. And here's what James says about our words. Our words are just like that. You don't have to intend for that spark that you just threw out to burn down a neighborhood, but it can. So James says, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And he tells us, your tongue is a fire. And here's what I know to be true about my own life, the words that I've spoken to people. Your words can start a fire that you can't put out. You can lose it all. A careless camper can destroy an entire national forest overnight. A careless word, a careless word can really truly harm a relationship. So we would do very, very well to watch our words. 
Now, one of the things that I, I, you know, I think about a lot as a parent is how I'm shaping my kids and like the words that I'm speaking to them and um, the fires that I, I hope to prevent in my own home. And, you know, by God's grace, there's, there's forgiveness and there's um, and, and what forgiveness can do in a home. But, man, I've seen, I've seen myself being the arsonist in my own relationships. One of the things that's so crazy to me, I try my best to be a non-reactive parent. I read the books. I read the blogs. I do all of these different things. And I say to myself, Jordan, I'm not going to respond to a six-year-old just because he wants to make you crazy. Don't let him make you crazy. You know what I'm saying? And there's still times I say to myself, you know what? He's six. I'm not going to respond with anger. I'm just going to say, okay, buddy, and we'll continue to go. But there's some things that he does, and I'm like, yo, I can't believe that he just did that. Like, the way he talks to me sometimes, I'm like, bro, if we were outside, if you were another dude, I would have to fight you just based off of that. (laughs) And uh, there's been plenty of times, to be quite candid, where I have seen the fire of my words in his face. And it's never worth it. I thought it was going to feel good letting it out, but it, it never does. I've seen the power of my words, negative, harsh, critical, painful words on my wife and what that does to the relationship. It feels like before I say it, I want to say it, but then once I say it, it, I just felt the fire coming out, and it, it didn't feel good. Now, James gives us a very stern warning to watch what we say. Now, as James continues in verses 7 and 8, he gives us a big reason why we need to be so careful about our words He says in verse 7 and 8, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's what James is saying. Of all the animals that we have tamed, nobody can tame the tongue. Humanly speaking, he says, it's restless. It's always unpredictable. It's always liable to break out at any moment. Now, one of the things that one comedian said years ago was about, uh, it happened after one of these really sad incidents at like a circus or something where a tiger broke out and mauled a couple people. And I think some people actually died by it. And the comedian um, was saying that tiger, people were saying, oh my God, the tiger went crazy. He says, no, he didn't. The tiger went crazy when he was riding a unicycle wearing a little hat. That's when the tiger went crazy. When a tiger started mauling people, he went tiger. That's what tigers do. And you would be incredibly unwise to be near a tiger and, and be chill and be relaxed. Like, nah, he's cool, bro. He just ate. Like, no, I'm good. He didn't, I don't care what he ate. I'm never going to be relaxed around a tiger because it cannot be tamed. It can put on a little hat. It can ride a unicycle. But I don't trust that that tiger will not maul me. James is telling us the same thing with our mouths. Don't ever get comfortable like it can be tamed. Always be on alert. Always put up a boundary to make sure that that untamed thing in your life doesn't get out of control. And as unwise as it would be to have a tiger in your living room relaxing and chilling like the hangover, it's equally unwise to think that your tongue can just go unmonitored. That you could be like, well, you know, I say crazy things from here and there, but it's not that big of a deal. James says that our tongues, our mouths, our words are something that we need to be 24-7 diligent about to make sure that we are keeping our boundaries in place to make sure that we do not speak incorrectly and inappropriately in any given scenario. 
if, us, if we thought about the way that we spoke to people, if we analyzed it, uh, a lot of times we would see how truly liable we are able to almost say almost anything. So number one, our words direct where we go. Number two, our words can destroy what we have. And number three, our words, this is a really challenging piece, our words show us who we really are. There's a couple of different yous. There's a you who you are in your mind. There's a you that other people think you are. And there's a you who you really are. One of the yous who you really are is revealed to us by the words that we, that we speak. In James 3 and 9, it says, With a tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Now, one thing I love about James is his practicality. And James is, is a book that assumes that people believe in Jesus. And he's saying, assuming that you believe in Jesus, this is how your life should look. And James is warning people so strongly here that our words are not just things that we say, but they are revealing what is going on in the inside of us. If James were writing from 2021, James would say, uh, you watch service every Sunday online. You serve. You, you volunteer to serve on the 19th. Uh, you stood up and sang your favorite song. And with that same tongue, that same mouth that you stood up to sing your favorite song in church, you cursed people. You talked about people behind their back. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, here's the most sobering thing about what James is saying about our, our, our words and our mouth and what it reveals in our, inside of our heart, the hypocrisy that he's pointing out. Like, can a, can a fresh spring also produce salt water? It, it can't do this. Jesus takes it up another notch in Matthew 12 and 34. He says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus is saying that there's no Freudian slip. There's no accident. He's saying our hearts are like volcanoes constantly erupting. They can erupt with praise, with gratitude, with thankfulness, with joy. They can also erupt with negativity, harshness, condemnation. And James is saying, and Jesus says that whatever comes out of you is based on what was already inside of you. If you've got a problem with your tongue, it is much more serious than we think. You have, and I have, a heart problem. A person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A person who is critical all the time has a bitter heart. So what do we do uh, knowing that there's so much damage that we probably have already done and might and will do in the future? What do we do to be people who really love people well and we are able to watch our mouths? I think the first and foremost thing that we all need to commit to is to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Our lives are not one that we can allow to just be on autopilot. We are so bombarded with messages. We are so bombarded with things that fill our hearts and our minds. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves that would allow us to be a person who is also gracious to other people. What is the gospel? The gospel is that you and I are undeserving people. We do not deserve God's best. Who get God's unconditional love from an unobligated giver. Undeserving people get unconditional love from an unobligated 
giver. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, for salvation is a gift. It's God's grace. Not from anybody's works so that nobody can boast. It is a gift. And by rehearsing the gospel in our lives, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. By believing this and rehearsing this, it would allow us to be people who do not repay evil for evil with our, with our words. Now, if you really want to get into a deep theological bag, I would argue that for the people who are adding extra venom to their words, they are not believing the gospel. What was the cross? The cross was punishment. The cross was God's punishment, God's wrath and all sin being poured out on Jesus. And essentially what we are saying and what we are believing functionally when we are adding venom to our words is we're saying that your punishment of Jesus on the cross wasn't enough. So I need to add my own spicy two-piece in the biscuit to this conversation. By God's grace, we would allow the gospel to wash over us, to comfort us from our own fears, to heal us, to remind us of how loved, deeply loved we are in Christ, and that would deeply shape the way we interact with other people. So number one, we need to rehearse the gospel to ourselves and receive God's affirmations to us. Uh, Number two, very practically speaking, we need to apologize for the harmful way that our words have affected people. Now, this is especially true for people that know that you've said something to them, and this is also true for the people, for the fires that you have started that people don't even know where the fire started from. Now, this is something that I know a lot of people are going to struggle with actually doing this. One of the best ways for you to practically guard your mouth is to go to someone in which you've started a fire in their life and to tell them that I'm the person who started the fire. If you do that, you will see the weight of your words and you will be that much more unlikely to repeat that behavior. That day after I lit that fire into that pile of, of leaves, I saw the real devastation of what that can do and I've never done that again. Some of us have avoided seeing the devastation of our words so much that we keep on repeating those mistakes. And one of the most painful things you can do is to go to someone and to own and to accept responsibility for how you have started a fire. That will prevent you from doing it again. So number one, we need to rehearse the gospel. Number two, we need to own and acknowledge and repent and have a full apology for our words. And number three, we need to be people who commit to being people that affirm each other. Ephesians 4, 29 says it like this, uh, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. Uh, we are all desperately in need of affirmation. A couple years ago, I, we did um, an affirmation exercise at a marriage retreat, and I, look at the, I looked around the room, and there was not a dry eye in the room. When you see people just receiving affirmation for who they are, Now, affirmation is not a compliment. Affirmation is not gratitude, uh, although those are good things. Gratitude is simply saying, hey, thank you so much for getting me the coffee. Affirmation is saying, hey, I notice that you are a person that really pays attention to other people's needs, and I'm really grateful for how you have paid attention and how you see so many different needs and you respond to them. Man, God has really blessed me by having a person like you in my life. You know what? I think we all kind of believe this ridiculous lie that says that if we affirm people, we'll give them a big head. So much so that the only time we speak well of people is at their funerals. Let's give people their flowers while they're living. Let's be people. Let's be people that are so known 
for noticing and calling out the good we see in other people. Like it says in Ephesians 4 and 29, that we're using our words for building people up. Man, what would it look like if you and I were people who were committed to building people up in our relationships with our words? Seeing the power of life in our words, man, I think it would look a lot more like real love. This week, I want you to think about three people you can affirm. Three people you can affirm. Again, we're not giving them thank you for what they have done, but speaking into their lives, the gratitude for how God has blessed you through them to affirm them, to bless them. And we'll have some more notes about that in our sermon notes online. And you know what? I want to end today with some affirmations of Scripture over your life. So if you will, please rise with me. Um, and we're going to pray, and the worship team's going to come out. And I just want to read some affirmations over your life from God. You matter so much to God that God will comfort you in all your tribulations. You are sufficient in God because God has made you sufficient, 2 Corinthians 3. You don't need to fear evil because God is with you. You don't need to fear being alone because God is your helper. You don't need to be strong because God is your strength and he makes you strong. You don't need to see a way out because God will rescue you from your troubles. You don't need to be strong because God is your strength. You don't need to know where you're going because God is and will always be present in your life. You don't need to have everything your mind can think of because God will bless you with every spiritual blessing. You are forgiven by God. You are chosen by God. You are complete in God. And you can find rest in God. Amen. Amen.